Welcome back to The Burning Issue with myself, Yazid Kamaldin. Now, for the next 12 minutes before we break for a shy, we are going to have two more guests. We have Professor Wahida Amin. She's a UCT professor in law and she's in studio. Her specialization is in family law, gender, religion, and legal pluralism. Shoo! Yo, Wahida, what happened there? Pluralism. There's a lot of L's there. How are you doing? Um, well, thank you, Yazid. Shukran for joining me in studio. The one person who didn't feel scared to come in studio tonight. Uh, but also, we know other people are busy um, doing other things like German, whatever. Um, Sheikh, Assalamu alaikum. Sheikh Fahruddin Oasi is an Islamic scholar, no stranger to my show. Sheikh, Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to Burning Issue. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Maybe I should say welcome back. Yeah, thank you, man. Mm-hmm. So, Sheikh and Wahida, as we heard during um, our previous two interviews, both women said, and they talked about religious leaders, and um, Nuran, for example, talked about how women go to an imam, and uh, Jamila said, for example, that religious leaders are not part of a category of people who need or who should be obliged to report cases of abuse. But now I'm going to ask a very simple question to both my guests, and we can start with Wahida. And the question is this, are victims of gender-based violence being failed by religious leaders? What is your opinion on that, Wahida? Yazid, I'm going to start off with a very short response. Yes, I think they are being failed. Now, why do I think they are being failed? We know that there are many instances, firstly, where women go to the imams, the sheikhs, the molanas, whoever it is that posits themselves as these authorities, religious authorities within the community, and that the community accepts as their religious leaders, um, seeking assistance from abuse within their homes, abuse by their husbands, um, abuse uh, that are being perpetrated by family members. And most, more often than not, they get told... Um, you must uh, sabr, go back, reconcile, make it work. Because uh, divorce is frowned upon. Now, when you send a woman back into an abusive situation or into an abusive relationship, you are in fact contributing to the perpetuation and the furtherance of her abuse and you're not just contributing to her abuse if there are children involved you are actually contributing to the abuse of children what is the messaging that religious leaders are conveying when they do that they are saying that you should not be talking about this it must be swept under the carpet Maintain the honor of your family, maintain the honor of the community. And, and that's, the, that's the messaging that gets conveyed to the, 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 the victims of the abuse, the women and the children. And then, of course, the children internalize that and grow up with that messaging. I mean, I know that I come from that context where it wasn't deemed acceptable and it wasn't explicitly said but this was the this was the culture that was inculcated in our communities over generations that you don't you you don't talk about sex you don't talk about 
um, unwanted attention. Right? On the radio. So, Sheikh Fakhruddin, have, have you heard what Wahida had to say? Ha- yes, yeah, sir. you've been listening. But, like, do, do you agree with what she's saying? I mean, you are regarded as an Islamic scholar. You obviously advise people who come to you for advice. If a woman who is abused had to come to an imam or a sheikh, I mean, for example, even if they had to come to you, Waida is saying that there's a culture of sweeping it under the carpet, there's a culture of maintaining the honor of the family. What do you make of all of this? Yeah, look, uh, I, I uh, to a large extent, I agree with the sentiments of Ahida. Uh, I'm an imam, I'm in the religious sphere, uh, you know, I belong to the ulama fraternity. And um, to a large extent, she is right. There is uh, a lot of, uh, uh, there's a culture of overemphasis on sabr. Uh, there is a, a, oftentimes uh, a lack of empathy for what the woman is going through. Uh, there is a culture sometimes uh, of cover-up, you know, and the family honor being more important than the suffering of the woman. Uh, there is also, um, you know, the whole thing of uh, uh, blaming the victim sometimes. Okay, what did she do to deserve this? You know, if a wife comes and uh, she was beaten up by husband or abused, oh yeah, but you know, there's two sides to the story. Uh, what was she doing that made him so angry? Now, uh, fine. The thing is, uh, whatever she would have done, uh, it does not justify the abuse and that blue eye and the broken rib and, uh, uh, you know, the, that violence. It doesn't justify it. So uh, the idea that there's two sides to the story is it, not correct in this case. Because uh, whatever she would have, uh, she apparently is, is guilty of does not justify the violence. So, yes, I agree that um, many imams, again, I, I won't generalize, there are those who do empathize and sympathize and support, but many out there are definitely guilty of covering up uh, these issues and uh, not standing by um, women, uh, you know. So, unfortunately, it's a sad reality, and, um, and for that, uh, you need to, you know, there needs to be some re-education, there needs to be uh, some, some, uh, you know, change in some of the curriculums that we are taught. Uh, that we need to support uh, our women. Uh, we need to take their side. In the recent case that happened as well, people were like, you know, I was, I would hear some of the ulama say some again, not all. Some of the ulama say things like, "Where's the proof?" And I'm like, "What proof do you want? The, was the girl supposed to video record her own rape or her own abuse? You know, yeah. uh, sorry, she didn't record it." Mm-hmm. Here's a person coming out with such courage to say what happened after so many years. I mean, I can understand how much courage it requires to say something like that about your own grandfather or your own whoever. Uh, and now we're saying, "Where's the proof?" Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I, I don't agree with those attitudes and. To conclude, my, me as a counselor, I always um, uh, take a very firm stand against abuse. I do not preach sabr. If I see a woman with a blue eye, I tell her, go and report it to the police. Mm-hmm. But this is unacceptable. Mm-hmm. I must say what you are revealing this evening is, is um, some might consider controversial because you're essentially saying that the religious fraternity is in fact contributing towards the abuse of women. Wahira, is there something you'd like to add? 
Uh, not, not all of them, right? I'm, I'm saying yeah. it, it, it's, it's widespread, but it's not everyone. Uh, well, widespread sounds like a lot. Yeah. Widespread sounds like a lot. May I just say that? I think let, yes. let's let's not gloss over. I mean, I don't think we are glossing over, but let's not. You know, uh, uh, certainly there may be isolated instances of uh, religious leaders who, as Uwais has said, actually do. Um, you know, uh, show empathy and um, are not wanting to, to, to sweep the abuse under the rug. But, you know, within our communities, this is a pandemic, mm-hmm. if I can put it that way. Mm-hmm. Now, I actually want to say that beyond going, you know, beyond just re-education and um, training, the, the, the fundamental problem we're sitting with is a religious clergy and a religious leadership, as they call themselves, that is underscored by an institution of patriarchy. That patriarchy is institutionalized within our communities, within the religious leadership. That institution of patriarchy is what needs to be dismantled. And we can't be having these piecemeal um, sort of if I can put it, handouts. There were some people calling for more women in the religious leadership, right? No, that's not that's not what is at issue here. What is at issue is that you can you can bring women into the leadership and you can have them being controlled by the 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 male authorities, um, and you can have the uh, women coming into these religious religious leadership positions, who in fact also contribute to the perpetuation of abuse. So we need to be dismantling the institutions and rebuilding them with women and men in equal, occupying equal spaces um, with, 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 within, these, within these institutions. Yeah. So I think what's very important for us is to understand, of course, the... Um, Religious response right now. I have only unfortunately two minutes left before we need to break for a shy and We actually hear from people saying that there are some You know people who use Hadith of the Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him to advise victims of abuse to show forgiveness and to be patience be patient sorry with what they are dealing with now Sheikh is this, in fact, a correct Islamic approach? Um, no. Uh, patience is a virtue, and both husbands and wives need to be patient with each other. That, that's a given. But there is a limit to what you are supposed to be patient with. Um, uh, abuse is not uh, from one of those things uh, uh, for which you need to be patient with. Uh, sometimes your husband gets angry. Okay, suffer. You know, sometimes your wife loses her temper. Fine, have suffer. These things, we require suffer, we require forgiveness, but if your husband is beating you, your husband is abusing you, your husband is constantly swearing at you, your husband is, um, you know, committing all these types of, I'm not even going into issues of sexual molestation and, and marital rape and uh, those type of, I mean, those are crazy stuff, you know. Uh, these things do not require suffer. These are crimes, and crimes should be treated as crimes. And uh, a woman ha- has to be saved in such a situation. She doesn't need to be put back into it. The Prophet, I mean, we're talking about the beloved Prophet, he's the one who said, 
the best of you are those men, you men are those who are best to their women. And he's also the one when a woman came to him and said, Ya Rasulullah, I'm unhappy with my husband. My father forced me to marry him and I don't want to be with this man. He didn't tell her, just go suffer with your husband and whatever. He called the man and he asked the woman to return the mahar and he, can, and he annulled the marriage. Today, if a woman goes and wants a fasakh uh, or an annulment of an abusive marriage, sometimes they had to wait for months. And in that month, she's continuously being abused. You don't know what can happen in those months. So the Prophet annulled it right there. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I don't feel uh, okay. that is the prophetic example uh, that is being uh, followed. It's a misunderstanding of the concept of forgiveness and sabr. Yeah. Let's go for the shy break. When we come back, we'll, ha- we'll hear more from Mohida and also from the Sheikh. Yeah. Welcome back to The Burning Issue with myself, Yazid Kamaldi. Now, this evening's topic is actually quite a biggie. Guys, listeners, this topic feels quite big, okay? We are talking about gender-based violence, and we've now gotten to the part of the conversation where we are talking and questioning whether religious leaders are failing victims of gender-based violence. We have heard from our two guests who both agree that religious leaders can do a better job in terms of helping victims of gender-based violence. Our guest in studio is Professor Wahida Amin and she's a UCT professor in public law. And we also have online Sheikh Fakhruddin Waisi, an Islamic scholar. Sheikh Fakhruddin, are you still with us? Yes, I am. Okay, just checking if you're on the line. So, I think what's very important for us to talk about is, um, of course, we've laid the foundation and we've said, yes, you know, the Muslim clergy could do better, the religious leaders could do better in terms of helping victims of gender-based violence and sexual abuse. And this, of course, is in a context where more of these stories are emerging, particularly on social media. We are seeing more stories like that now i also just want to say that we are receiving a number of whatsapp messages quite a lot actually on this topic and i just want to acknowledge some of that because listeners do play an important role in our show as well um let's go through some of the messages listener 0115 has a message for Wahida and the listener says Yazid how can you allow Wahida to lambaste the ulama like that she sounds like a man hater Wahida (laughs) (laughs) is that your response to it (laughs) okay Sorry, That's Yazid. Sorry, sorry. That was that. Uh, uh, sorry. <laughs> May I ask why? You know, are you a man hater? Do you hate men? What's wrong? <laughs> okay, let me let me re- let me re- try and. Oh, is that your response? Period. Let, let me try and respond seriously. Okay. No, I'm not a man hater. I should hater. have made a video of that. <laughs> I should have. That was such a moment. <laughs> so, you know, when a person. Not just a woman. When a person is calling out wrongdoings in a community and in a family, and especially when that wrongdoing is abuse that's being perpetrated. And we know in society, in South Africa, on the continent, across the world, that abuse is mainly perpetrated by men against women. 
by males against females. At no point in this show this evening did any one of the panelists, including myself, say that only men perpetrate abuse against women and that only women are abused by men. But the statistics and the reality shows that abuse is mainly perpetrated by men against women, by males against females. We know that women can abuse and, that, and, 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 and men, some men are abused by women and, and some women do abuse. But that is not the, 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 the picture of, 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 of reality as it is on the ground in terms of the majority of, of, of abuse that's happening. And if, if you think... And, and I'm speaking to that particular listener who called me, who, who described me as a man-hater. If you think that calling out the truth and highlighting the reality in society makes me a man-hater, then you are delusional, you are short-sighted, you are narrow-minded, and you are completely out of tune with reality as it is. Listener, you are living in a soap opera. Wow. Okay. I think that really sums it up. I'm not going to go any further into that question. So, you know, Sheikh, something else that listener 0682 has sent is saying that the ulama even quote, use quotations to um, like hush, hush the uh, abuse, right? And the, the the listener is saying that one of the best quotes used is, if you cover your brother's faults, Allah covers your faults on the day of Qiyamah. Now, is there any legitimacy, is there any truth to this? Yeah, I, I answered that earlier. Uh, covering faults uh, is, does not include crimes and abuse. Because here, it's not, uh, covering faults is if you know you, you missed your Fajr Salah or you uh, you know uh, did something uh, wrong on a personal level but if there is another person involved who's a victim who's suffering uh, if i know mr uh, buta x um, mr fajar salah i should cover up that i shouldn't go announce to the whole world that because that's wrong you know we all have mistakes and errors but if i know that buta x is busy molesting his daughter then here there is another person involved who is suffering. In that case, there is no such thing as covering your brother's fault. In this case, it is saving your sister. It is saving the other person. The Prophet ﷺ said, Don't harm anybody and don't let anybody harm you as well. So here we need to save uh, somebody. I mean, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's a surah called Surah Al-Mujadila. It means the, 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 literally the name of the surah is the lady that came arguing. Who did she come, come argue with? She came to argue with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam about incident that happened at her home. There was no abuse. The, the husband didn't beat her. Uh, he didn't even swear at her or anything like that. What happened was that uh, he desired to have sexual relations with her. And she uh, kind of like refused for whatever reason it was. And then what happened next was unacceptable. What he did was... He said, you to me are like my mother, uh, which was an ancient Arab way of like a talak. To say that you, to, when you say to your wife, you to me are like my mother, that's like making talak to her. So she came to the Prophet ﷺ complaining. She said, Ya Rasulullah, 
I spent years of my life with this man, serving him, looking after him, all of that. I'm an old lady now, you know, I'm an older person, and now something small like that happened, and he just unlocked me. So please help me. Now, I'm not going to the whole story, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala heard the call of this woman and revealed the surah where he says, But Samia Allahu Kaulalati Kujadluka fi Sawjiya. Allah says to the Prophet, indeed your Rabb has heard the complaint of that woman who came to you arguing about her husband. Allah heard her complaint and Allah gave her the solution after that as well to save her marriage. Uh, this lady was also one, you know, inside in Omar's time, one day he, she stopped him in the middle of the road and she started giving him a long lecture. And after a while, some of his companions said to Sayyidina Umar, who was a ruler, the Khalifa, that why are you listening to this woman's long lecture? I mean, you got other things to do. He said, guys, do you know who this woman is? This is the woman whose complaint was heard by the Almighty Allah himself. So how can Umar not listen to her? So when somebody is suffering, you need to listen to them. You need to help them out. God listened to the woman who was suffering. Uh, we cannot use other things like cover up your brother and so on. It doesn't apply in this situation. Mm-hmm. Let's go for a quick ad break. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation. Welcome back to The Burning Issue. We are almost at the end of our program and I just want to acknowledge some of the WhatsApp messages that have come through. Listener 7107 says, Shukran for having this program. We need the frank discussion. Listener 4962 says, The person who called the system man-hater is part of the problem. The problem being systemic misogyny and male patriarchy. And... The listener also asks the ulama should pass a fatwa that if there's abuse, no reconciliation is possible until the, perpet- until the perpetrator is rehabilitated. That is a question, actually. Can the ulama pass a fatwa? And then listener uh, 4616 uh, presents an opinion saying our ulama lacks personal skills. I guess that's supposed to be interpersonal skills. They go and study, but don't have a clue how to act with human beings. Of course, that is one person's opinion. We all have different interactions with our religious leaders. Um, And then I received a message from a woman that I feel really needs to be shared. And I just want to find it um, because if I can just quickly find it where it was... Um, sure. There are so many messages. Listeners, by the way, shukran for all your interaction on the show this evening. Um, I know that for a lot of people in our community, it's a contentious issue. Okay, well, I see the listener actually deleted all her messages. Um, I do remember that she was saying, she was just basically sharing some of the abuse that she's been through. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think some people take to social media because they feel so frustrated in this situation they have nobody else to turn to and that's of course where we started off the show with people who have turned to social media now Sheikh I just quickly want to ask your uh, advice on this now we are aware that there are also members of the ulama who do not condone naming and shaming shaming of alleged sexual abuse perpetrators in the public space Unless they have been tried in court, and that's that's even a, an ethical thing that we follow as journalists, because the South African law states that you are 
innocent until proven guilty. But now, is there an ethical and perhaps religious dilemma with what people are doing, which is taking to social media to out or to expose an alleged sexual abuse perpetrator? Give us guidance on this as well from an Islamic perspective, because, you know, nothing really stops anyone from going onto Facebook or Twitter or Instagram and posting pictures of someone. And we're seeing it more now and making allegations against them of very defamatory uh, of a defamatory nature sometimes without really going to court and all those things and I mean this is the other side of the coin you know we need to understand both sides of what 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 the implications are uh, yes definitely and uh, this is obviously one of the most sensitive issues when it comes to uh, this matter uh, you know the whole issue of innocence and guilt is the person guilt considered guilty until proven innocent, or are they considered innocent until proven guilty? Uh, and this is where people disagree. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of women, you know, uh, they go with the first opinion. If he's been accused, then he's guilty until you prove that he's innocent. Uh, a lot of men go on the other opinion. No, he's innocent until you prove he's guilty. Um, I usually, I mean, I personally promote a, a, a middle way approach to this matter, which is that, uh, yes, you cannot declare somebody completely uh, guilty and become the judge, the jury, the executioner, uh, you know, uh, unless due process is followed. And, and, and there is substantial evidence uh, of guilt. Just an accusation alone doesn't, doesn't automatically make a person guilty. So uh, we cannot assume that person is certainly guilty just because they've been accused of something. So that would become a travesty of law. I mean, I could accuse you, you could accuse me, anybody could accuse anyone, and that's not good, you know. And we've had cases, uh, not many maybe, but there have been cases in some parts of the world. I've read in the USA and some places where some women uh, even, you know, accuse certain people, ex-husbands and stuff, of stuff uh, just out of spite, and it's been proven to be false as well. But at the same time, uh, I am against also this approach of considering the person completely innocent and taintless until you go through an entire procedure and is uh, found to be guilty. Because in this case, what happens is the person is just left to go free and uh, there is no accountability. So we need to take an approach where such a person... Uh, I don't have a problem in naming them, uh, shaming them, maybe, maybe not, depending. Uh, but cases need to be brought forward. Why am I saying this is because this is a very sensitive matter. It takes uh, women uh, a lot of courage to come out with these matters, especially if they are younger, especially if they are members of the family. And uh, one of the reasons many women don't come out is because they feel uh, people are going to think I'm lying. People are not going to believe me. Uh, people are going to think I'm making this up and I, I don't have anything else to prove it. I don't have any witnesses. Nobody reported this. Uh, and people are going to say stuff like, why are you coming out now after so many years? So, uh, therefore, uh, I think these cases need to be highlighted. And, yes, you can put a disclaimer there that, look, the charges uh, are still being investigated. They are still at court. But this is happening. The person has been accused. That's a fact. The yeah. person has been accused, and we need to highlight that. Otherwise, we're going to silence victims. We're going to shame them and make them look like liars, and the abuse will continue. And the abuse is real, and it is happening. So we need to mention 
names. Uh, we need to uh, highlight what's happening. And yes, we can say, look, the matter is still being investigated, but this is happening and these accusations have been made. Yeah. So uh, people are aware of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Sheikh, I think I'm going to wrap up my interview with you because we have just a few more minutes to go. So shukran so much for joining us on Burning Issue this evening. Wahida, well, we have just a few more minutes. The floor is yours. <laughs> I also still want to um, read out the uh, resource list. Okay, thanks, yeah. Yazid. I mean, I, I think I just want to make a few final points. Um, I mean, I've already spoken about the, you know, the, I think, um, the fundamental problem of institutionalized patriarchy. Um, and 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 that the, this kind of inst- the, that institution needs to be dismantled and replaced with progressive voices of men and women occupying equal spaces within religious within leadership structures, including religious leadership structures. But I also want to talk about the obligation. So so what we saw after the um, the allegations were made was. You know, were religious leaders coming out and making statements? Now, this kind of seems to be the modus operandi, where after the fact, a statement gets made and conduct and behavior gets condemned. And that's all good and well, but it's not enough. Because it's very easy to condemn conduct after the 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 act has already been, been perpetrated. What are religious leaders doing and should be doing um, to address abuse and to ensure that they facilitate an environment that prevents abuse from being perpetrated. Now, the one thing I think is very interesting um, is um, the 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 identification of of religious leaders as people who dispense advice and provide counseling and that, and when someone like that is not trained to dispense advice and to dispense counseling that becomes very worrisome for me and i think we need to start holding those people accountable firstly that when abuse is reported to them it cannot be swept under the rug firstly um and they need to if they're not trained properly themselves they need to be referring the victims or the survivors of abuse to the, the, the relevant agencies that are equipped and have expertise to deal with it. So just for a point of clarity, so I mean, my understanding of counselling is that it is a confidential relationship, firstly, so I'm going for counselling, I'm seeking advice. So it's not to say that I, as a religious leader, or whoever the religious leader, sorry, I'm just using, it's not to say that the religious leader is compelled to take your hand and take you to a police officer but maybe advise you rather to go to these resources absolutely so, so we're not saying the onus is on that religious leader to no. now go and yeah. so, so i think we must make a distinction between legal obligations and moral obligations yeah. Yeah. now at the moment there's no legal obligation on a religious leader when a um instance of abuse has been reported to him, right? Um, one should also be able to say her, but we know that the reality is that most of them are, are, are males. So, um, and that for me is also problematic. And and in, and also the, the, the reporting of the abuses in the case of minors. You would need an adult's consent to, re- to report abuse. But the, the Sexual Offences Act doesn't place the obligation on a religious leader to do so in the case of a minor. And for me, that's a gap in the law 
that uh, that that needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. You have like a minute. Okay. Obviously, safe spaces need to be need to be created, mm-hmm. and I think we need to start thinking through the roles and responsibilities of of, of religious leaders in um, in 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 these kinds of cases where abuse is happening, where abuse gets reported. Um, what needs to be done to prevent? Um, uh, to address and prevent abuse, and and I just want to reiterate, um, religious leaders, if abuse is being reported to them, right, cannot take the approach and say, sweep it under the carpet, don't talk about it, don't create shame, right? Um, if they are trained in in counselling and 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 therapy, you know. Um, provide the advice that 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 is needed there, but refer the the victims to the appropriate um, um, spaces. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think your input this evening has been really brilliant, and Shukran also for the little bit of humour, Waida. <laughs> Shukran for joining us. I would like to firstly thank you, but then also before I greet, just leave our listeners with a bit of a, um, a resource list. There are a number of uh, organizations that are at hand to help. I, I can't read out all of it, but I'll leave you with two numbers. There's Rape Crisis, and they are on 021-447-1467. That is Rape Crisis. You can also Google them. And another one is called Nakosa, and they are on 021-552-0804. I'm going to have to leave it at that due to time constraints. Waida, shukran so much. Assalamu alaikum. Afwan Yazid. Could I ask, could I request that that list of service providers be made available on the website so people can access it if Definitely, they need? definitely. There's a Facebook page and there's a Voice of the Cape website. I'll make sure that, I mean, I'll, I'll relay the message to the show producer. From myself, Yazid Kamaldin, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.